Last month, uh, Heather Plotz, Brian Diaz, and I, uh, representing the missions team, made our way down south of the border uh, very early in the morning and um, crossed over to go to uh, Radius International. And Radius International is um, a a missions training school that provides missionary training to those that wish to plant churches among unreached people groups in a pioneer context. They equip cross-cultural workers with the tools needed to be effective and avoid unnecessary attrition before the task is complete. And um, we have been hearing about Radius uh, for a a while, and many of you who have gone down to Mexico Caravan Ministries with us the last several years have been introduced to our speaker uh, and his son and our adult education hour speaker and many others who are there during the week to um, educate and challenge our young people um, for missions. Um, We were uh, very impressed with uh, what we saw down there. We were able to um, join with others from across America who were coming to check out Radius. Um, And it was a a fantastic time, a challenging time um, to consider what God is doing amongst those who have never heard of the name of Jesus and who do not have Bibles in their language, many of who do not have alphabets yet. Um, Our speaker this morning is Brad Buser, and he is here with his wife, Beth. And they spent more than 20 years planning a church among the Ateti people in Papua New Guinea. Um, They have been back, and uh, Brad helped found Radius International, and they go all over the place speaking, teaching at perspectives classes. I think you guys were in Alaska recently, Um, and they are uh, active in helping to prepare and equip families and individuals to go into um, pioneer context to uh, give the gospel to those who have never heard. So I want like to invite you to welcome with me Brad Buser. Uh, real honor for me to get to be with you guys this Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, we uh, just got back from uh, Orlando, Florida the other day. We get all over the place. But when we're not traveling, uh, we are working down in Tijuana at the school called Radius International. Uh, just a real privilege to see the type of people that God is raising up uh, to, to actually go to the last 3,100 languages on the planet. And uh, this is your mission Sunday. Uh, man, I've loved singing the songs uh, just this morning. And uh, I just want to implant that in your heads. 3,100 languages on this planet with nothing of the gospel. That is the challenge before us. As we think of the Great Commission, as we think of Jesus' last words in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's not talking about going to New Guinea, going to Chad, going to China, going to Nepal. That's not the word nation that Jesus was using there. The word nation there in the Greek, it's ethne which is ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples. He wants every language group on this planet to have followers of him. We see that very clearly in Revelation 5, 9. And so uh, to see God raising up young men and women that are wanting to do this, they have to be out of college. Uh, They've got to be recommended by their churches. It's a pretty tough and stringent set of requirements to be a student at Radius. We have 51 students down there right now. They're from all over the USA. Uh, Graduates from Annapolis, uh, guys that are working for NASA before they came. These are uh, really sharp and uh, very motivated people. Uh, they're going to have to go into closed countries, start businesses, and uh, identify locally as business owners or any way possible to stay in those countries long term. Planting churches among the last language groups on the planet, it's a long-term endeavor. If they are thinking in terms of seven or eight or nine years, we don't even take them as students. They need to be thinking 15, 20, 30 years. And so every student down there understands that to be, even be uh, approved to take up a seat at Radio. 
radius. And so that's what radius is really all about, completing the Great Commission. Uh, like Andrew said, my wife and I, we served overseas in the country of Papua New Guinea for a little over 20 years. Uh, we got there in 1979. I know the world was still cooling then. Uh, and uh, the first thing that we had to do was to learn the language of the country, which is Melanesian. This about taught me working now. We talk pisin in. I suppose you put in kupa yalongen by nuplaharim. That's the thing. And by hotly call same. No guy plenty below you, but living come up like this plahap. That's the beyond by going tap. Now looking bipra and by rasen can can pipi stop and say lo yablo you and by nupa work in 2009. We see hot algeta, and that's the first language that we had to learn. But there are. <laughs> But there are many, uh, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of churches that function in Melanesian, okay? Our job was not to uh, start another church speaking Melanesian. They have access to the gospel. Our job was to go interior. And so as we were learning that language, I was making trips uh, back into the jungle uh, to, to meet and to see some of these language groups, uh, these tribal peoples that were asking for somebody to come and live among them. And we decided that we'd go uh, live among this group called the Itedi people. They're about 180 miles over nothing but jungle. Uh, they had never had any outsiders come and live among them. Uh, we would be the first uh, outsiders to live among them. My wife was actually the first outside woman they had ever seen. Uh, we brought our two little children back in there with us. And uh, the, the day uh, I built a house for my wife and kids, uh, we chopped down these uh, things. They looked like coconut trees, uh, chopped them down, and then we uh, chopped them into 10-foot sections. And uh, we took the bark off the coconut tree. That was the floor of our house. And we took the leaves of the coconut tree, and that was the roof of our house. And uh, we watched Survivor occasionally. It's like, yeah, been there, done that. You know, not a... <laughs> Uh, helicoptered, uh, ch- chopped down a, a huge chunk of jungle, helicoptered my wife and two little boys uh, back into the jungle. My wife uh, did a medical clinic for the Iteti people that evening. The next morning, she rolled over in bed. She says, honey, I just want you to know I'm pregnant. Oh, please, no. Uh, worked feverishly uh, to build an airship so that my pregnant wife could fly out and have our baby. And I failed. And so we hiked out when she was eight months pregnant. We had our baby daughter, uh, came back in and uh, finished off the airstrip. And then we began learning the language of the Iteti people. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about languages uh, this morning. Not, not a lot. We want to get into God's word. Uh, but make no mistake about it. First, language is relatively easy. You have books, you have headphones, you have instructors, you have controlled environments, you have a lot of factors on your side. Okay, And I say relatively, please make note of that. I didn't say easy. Not Learning any language is not easy. But compared to insider languages, those 3,100 languages that don't have books, instructors, headphones, controlled environments, that's the challenge before us, folks. Uh, we can continue to send missionaries as we're doing, missionaries and money, missionaries and money, missionaries and money, to places that have access to the gospel. They're needy. They're obviously needy, but we're making almost no progress in the Great Commission. As many people as we're sending overseas, as much money as we're sending overseas, we're we're making very little progress because we're not thinking strategically until a person goes to China and learns Mandarin and then goes beyond. The Mandarin-speaking church is in the millions. We need to go beyond Mandarin to those language groups in Western China that have nothing of the gospel. That's the challenge before us. And so we really need to apply our thinking to this as well as just our hearts. And, and uh, too often we put our hearts uh, in the preeminent position and not really thought, what does our Savior want done? Uh, so anyway, we moved in among the Teddy people in the late 1979. It took years to learn their language. Uh, finally, in 1985, we began to share the gospel. We had to speak and think like an adult Teddy man. 
I'm not just going to give it a shot when I give the gospel to a people group for the first time. I need to be excellent as a speaker. And it took me years to get there. And uh, my wife is doing medical uh, work the whole time, gaining credibility for this message. Finally, in 1986, we had the first men and women that came to faith in the Lord Jesus. We'd lived among them for six years before we had the first people. And then uh, it took, and I was, I was so, we were just rejoicing in that, uh, not realizing that, and six years there to, uh, actually in the seventh year, living among them, uh, we found the first believers. And it would take 13 more years living among them for those people to become not just scattered individual followers of Jesus, but become primarily identified as followers of Jesus. My clan, my lineage, uh, my ethnicity, my citizenship, my country, all those were secondary. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you know how long it takes for a person to identify as that? To lose their clan, it'd be like you losing your last name. No, number one, I'm a follower of Jesus. Number two, I'm of this family. I'm of this previous country. I'm of the USA, whatever. Uh, identity is, is a huge component in seeing a church raised up. Uh, that would take years uh, for that to happen. see that happen. Uh, finally, 1999, uh, the church was healthy, reproducing. Uh, we had the translation. We'd done that uh, for the Teddy people, and our work among them was done. Came back to the USA, began to teach uh, on missions and I was a missions pastor at my church in San Diego, uh, teaching at uh, the Master's College on missions, teaching at Eternity Bible College on missions. Uh, Francis Chan uh, and I had been friends for a while, and uh, actually it was Francis's idea uh, to start this thing called Radius International, but he's an idea spawner, and uh, he talked to me. He said, Brad, you guys need to do this. And so uh, t- about five years after the idea was launched, Radius International actually got signed into existence. So that's a little bit of what we're doing and, and what we've done and uh, our bona fides, if you want to call him that. Um, this morning, though, we want to get into God's word, because why aren't we seeing the Great Commission completed? What is our understanding of what it is to be a follower of Jesus? It really goes back to that. We could preach Matthew 28, and Mark 16, and Luke 24, and we could go after those passages again and again. But you know what, for the most part, I think we understand Jesus' desire. I don't think we're unaware of that. There are many factors, many reasons that we haven't made much progress on the Great Commission. But today, I think it's necessary to go back and talk about one of them. And it really comes back to the idea of what is it to be a follower of Jesus? How were we born into this family of faith? Um, I remember the uh, youth pastor that I got saved under in San Diego. And uh, I appreciated so much how he shared the gospel with us. And I listened to this man for over six months before I accepted Christ as my Savior. Because how he shared the gospel kept me from becoming a believer. He shared it like this. What Christ did on that cross, there's nothing you can do to add to it. His blood pays for your sin. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. All you can do is fall on your knees and say, thank you, God, and accept it as a gift that it is. But you do need to understand that once you accept that gift, your life is over. You have no future. You have no rights. It's all about him from that moment on. So think it through. Think it through. And one of the passages that he would speak from in proof texting that and validating that message was the one we're going to get into this morning in Luke chapter 14. If we don't understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus, man, we'll have mission conferences year after year and do the stuff that we do, and we're not going to see committed individuals step forward. Because somehow we, we, we feel like we can tack Jesus onto our life. I remember when I got saved, some of you guys... We're, uh, we're around back then in the 70s. They had this bumper sticker, and uh, it sounded pretty cool. Uh, God is my co-pilot. Anybody remember that bumper sticker? God is my co-pilot? Yeah. 
And, and I, I like the idea, and I, I think I get it. But come on, guys, as we think deeper, God is nobody's co-pilot. God isn't going along for the ride. He takes things over. He's not going along for the ride of your life. He's not going to be put in the back pocket and just go with you and you pull him out when you need. He takes lives over. That's what he did. It's what he does. That's the only way he comes into those who profess his name. He's not going along for the ride. And I just appreciate a youth pastor who made that so clear. Luke, t- turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 14. Uh, let's, let's see what Jesus said. Because I can stand up here and yell and rant and hint and tell stories and, you know, do all that stuff. And if it's just me, blow me off. Please blow my words off. But what our Savior said, we've got to take seriously, folks. And it's in taking this seriously that Garden Grove is going to feel effect of your life. And the ends of the earth will feel the effect of your life. Luke chapter 14 says this, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Pretty, pretty hard stuff. This is Christianity 101. This isn't the deeper life. This is not the deeper life. And the person, and folks, I've preached on this passage a few times. And I've had folks actually say, that's not the Jesus that I know. There isn't another Jesus. There's another religion. There's moral lifestyles. There's people that know a lot of Bible verses that live moral lifestyles. But this is the only way Jesus comes in. I take things over. Says here, large crowds were traveling. He didn't just pull Peter, James, and John aside. These are the guys with really great potential. These are going to be my big guys, my leaders. I I see a lot of great character traits in them. He he doesn't take Peter and James and John aside and and tell them this. To be my real top guns, this is what it's going to take. He he doesn't even speak to, to the 12. As he's standing wherever he was standing, looking out at the masses, This is Christianity 101. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he counts it as nothing. My wife, what are you talking about? My number one desires to my Savior. My kids, my future, are you kidding? Not even close. He says there's no other way to know me as Lord and Savior. This is Christianity 101. Yes, even his own life, he cannot. I'm not making this up. I didn't scribble this in your Bible. I didn't scratch out the original and just kind of get in there. This is our Savior speaking. He cannot. He doesn't say it's rare. It's really difficult. It just can't be done. We need to struggle with that. What's he actually meaning here? And then a couple, man, John would say, man, we're going to be known by our love one for another. How do you, how do you marry these things up here? Man, we're, we're going to be lovers of people. And man, love my wife and raise my children. How do we, how do we balance these things out? Turn back to Exodus chapter 20. This might help. Exodus chapter 20. Because it can appear confusing. It's not actually. When God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, Look at the, look at the order. You know what? If I was giving the Ten Commandments, I'd probably start over there uh, with twelve. 
Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Those, those things, I, I really get those. Those are tangible. Yeah, I don't want to you know, disrespect my parents. I want to you know, not lie, steal, all that stuff. Th- those I get. But God's different. God's different than me. And when God, the Father, the Creator, the Lord of the universe, wants to get the attention, this is what it is to be my people, he starts with this. Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Number one of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. I take over. There's nothing close to me. You know, where, where we worked among... The Itadi people, uh, uh, they were uh, an interesting-looking uh, group of people, uh, obviously uh, buried back in the jungle, all kinds of skin diseases and uh, a variety of ailments that plagued them. And uh, I can honestly say that, uh, man, I, I never had any you know, physical attraction to any of the women there. Uh, but uh, now we live in the suburbs, in San Diego, and we have neighbors. And uh, can you imagine this? Uh, just, just think with me here. If I was to invite uh, Diane, she's one of our neighbors, and, uh, and we had Claire across the street. Uh, if I was to invite Diane and Claire to my house and, and I'd say, hey, Diane, Claire, could you come over for, uh, maybe 12 o'clock this afternoon? Beth's going to be there. And I just want to clarify some things. I just want to clarify some things. So Diane and Claire would be standing there, and I'd say to my wife, I'd say, honey, man, you've been a great wife. It's been an awesome run, man, for all these years that we've had together, man. Uh, man, having babies together, growing old together, serving together, loving together, uh, doing life together. It's just been great. But you know what? If you die, Diane would be a darn good number two. You know, we have the same sense of humor. You know, we get along. We've done a few things. And, you know, it's, you know Good looking, you know, and, and that, it could work out pretty good. And, you know, if Diane's not available, Claire would be a pretty good number three. <laughs> now, as married people, you get this illustration. I, I try to say this occasionally to youth groups, and it just, just flies over their head. <laughs> but I will say what probably every woman and, and every guy is aware. If I was to have that conversation with my wife and Diane and Claire, I'd be castrated in a nanosecond. My wife's having none of that. None of that. There's no close number twos. We do that with God all the time. Oh, God, you're number one. Then my family, my wife, then my kids, then my church, then my country, then my... Then my then. And, we, and we've put God on the list. And he's saying there is no list. I am the desire of your hearts. I am the affection. Your allegiance to me, there's nothing close to it. And folks, can I put this in here so that we can speak with some, some integrity? If you're struggling for that, I'm struggling with you. If you're not even struggling, though, you don't know the Lord. If you're not struggling on a regular basis to make him the supreme allegiance, desire of your heart, you're a good religious person. But you've never bowed before the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the degree of allegiance that he demands. He will not come in on any other way. He's not going to be your co-pilot. He's not going along for anybody's ride. I take over. Your retirement, your future, are you kidding? You spend way too much time thinking about that. Our children, what are we raising our children to do? I'll tell you what, I, I wish I could give a parenting class here just on the things that my wife's parents taught her. Not my dad. My dad was in the Navy. <laughs> Never did bow his knee to the Lord Jesus. I was raised to be a good American. My wife was raised to be expendable. 
You're expendable for your king. You're expendable for your king. Too often we raise our kids. I hope they live right next door to us. I hope they get the best job. I hope, I hope, I hope. And, and we work for those things. Uh, folks, this comes into every aspect of our life. Our kids, our future, our, our today. And to see him known, that's his desire. I want to be known among every tongue, tribe, and nation. And I left heaven. I led the way. As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. I, I, I scanned I spanned the distance and I came and lived among you. And I want to be known and you as my redeemed son or daughter. That's what you're all about now. No matter what occupation you have and how you, where you live and where you got trained and, you know, hobbies, you're primarily about making me known. And folks, until every individual who calls Jesus Lord and Savior buys into that, you're going to be frustrated. Looking for satisfaction in a new TV show, new hobby, following a new thing, politics. You're just going to be frustrated because you were meant for more. You were meant for more. And that's the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit inside you. To make Jesus known, that's what you're about. That's what your family's about. That's what your kids are about. Let's go back to Luke. Anyone who comes to me does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters... Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Folks, you'll just have to take my word. Uh, I, I did have the privilege of translating the New Testament to the language of the Italian people. That was not a turn of phrase. That was not a common way of, of, of wording things. Take up your cross. It wasn't like, you know, guys who were owning butcher shops or, you know, carpenter stores. Hey, take up your cross and, you know, be a good... Be a good employee. No one talked like that. Jesus coined the term. And so when he coins the term, and you guys probably know because of church history, the Romans crucified thousands. They would line roads with crucified people and territories they took over. Roman crucifixion, when he says this, there's only one thing popping into the head of the guys listening to him. We're dead men. Our lives are over. People that carried crosses on their back measured their lives in hours. They weren't making plans for the future. Then I want to do, then I want to do, then I want to do. Jesus knew exactly what he was trying to conjure up in the mind. Your life is completely about me. Folks, unless we go back to this, the whole thing of missions, you know, we'll give our money and do a few things. The whole thing about missions, sending somebody to go and, and lay their life down. Lay their spouse's life down. Lay their child's life down. Down at Radius, we the first class that we had down there, we didn't actually allow children. And then uh, we, we realized that until a person's children are in the equation, they're not really committed. Because I'll lay my life down, and my wife will do the same thing as adults. But it's only when we look at our children are we really seriously talking about consecration. Will we go to the hardest places on this planet and endanger our kids and, if need be, bury our kids? We go through the life of Adoniram Judson. You just you lose track of how many children he buried. He buried his first wife. He buried his second wife. Then he he died. His third wife died too. Um, until we go back to this type of consecration, we're just talking theory and and doing missions on a casual, doable, is it safe basis? I love the title of your conference here. Moms and dads, are you willing to lay the life of your children at the throne of Jesus? 
You got to deal with that issue. As your sons and daughters are raised up in a strong Bible teaching church, and I've had enough interaction with you guys down at caravans, I know enough about Andrew, just as, <laughs> as his little legacy there. Uh, th- th- this is a strong Bible teaching church. And so it would be normal for your sons and daughters to say, here am I, I'm going. I cannot look at what Jesus said and continue to make plans for my life based off of what I want to do. I'm a follower of Jesus. Moms and dads, you ready for that? You ready to let them go? Ready to encourage them? Oh, it's breaking my heart. Where you're going, I'm terrified. But I'm so proud of you. To make that transition, folks, until we do that, we're just talking theory here. Some of you guys are young enough and healthy enough to go to the hardest spots on this planet. My dad taught me about orders. He was 45 years in the United States Navy. He uh, joined up the day after Pearl Harbor. Uh, So I grew up in a Navy family. And uh, my unsaved father, who was furious when I went overseas, furious. He never bowed his knee to the Lord Jesus. But he taught me about you follow the last orders. You always go on the last orders. And the last things Jesus is saying in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts chapter 1 before his ascension. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, they all have churches. The gospel is in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. And you don't live in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, you live in Garden Grove. There's only one part of that fourfold command that's left, the ends of the earth. That's our challenge, folks. As we have a missions conference dedicated to seeing Christ known to the ends of the earth, we have to look that in the eye. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say it's rare. He says, if you're not living a life with me as the supreme desire of your heart, struggling every day for more consecration, more focus. And I, I, folks, I say struggle because I get it. But it's a rejection of this that would, that would cause me to say, man, you don't know the Lord. If you're struggling for this, well done. Keep struggling. Grow more in that. I'm right there with you. Now, Jesus, and I've, Preach this in enough places, you know, this is not easy stuff, man. This is tough stuff. I mean, he's giving out the red meat here. And, uh, and so I'm sure as he's looking at thousands of people out there, how did he project? Who knows? Uh, and, and so he's got the, 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 the people looking at each other. He said, hey, father, mother, son, daughter, what are you talking about? Dead, you know, carry our cross. What's he talking? So I'm sure he's seeing the, the, the confusion and the uh, pushback maybe. And so he goes on now and he's going to give a couple illustrations. The illustrations are Important. Because he wants to help people understand what did, what, what do you think you heard? So the first illustration goes like this. And the first one's pretty easy. It says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Easy to see. The point is count the cost. Count the cost. You want to name my name? You want to consider yourself one of my sons and daughters? Count the cost. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. I remember one day when I was a young kid in San Diego, and uh, every place was closed out. Uh, All the big wave, big set had come through, swell had come through. And uh, me and Adrian, a guy named Ralph Ralph Dittenhopper, (laughs) we we paddled out. And the backsides were 15 foot. And there was only one place at Sunset Cliffs that that were holding the waves. And uh, so we're paddling out. And... uh, this monster wave comes along and Ralph turns and he goes in before we got even into the even bigger ones. He didn't want to go out far enough. Yeah, that's a silly illustration. It's a silly story, not counting the cost. We had missionaries that hit New Guinea and within 24 hours, they turned around. They were home. 
They hadn't counted the cost. A little more serious. But folks, for us to enter into being followers of Jesus and not count the cost, it's going to mess with everything. Your work, how you live, the extensions you do to your home, the renovations, the vacations, the retirement. Where in the heck did Christians retiring become the norm? How do we feel that that is our right? We work till we drop. We're followers of Jesus. We're not working 40 years so that we can get an RV and tour or, or whatever, by whatever definition. We work till we drop. Of course, we can't work the same. But we are not entitled to a few years at the end of our life where we just get to do what we want to do. How did that become the unquestioned right of a North American Christian? We work till we drop until every one of these people groups, every one of these languages has the gospel in their language. We've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. And we need to find our spot within this great commission he's left behind for us. Understand that. Jesus is saying, understand that. Count the cost. You want to be my father? This is what we are all about. Nothing else. And as we are doing that, we're being godly husbands and godly wives and godly parents and godly employers and godly employees. But we're not about that. We're about this, to make him known. Let's not get lost in the details and the minutiae that so easily entangles us. Then he gives another illustration. And this one's a little tougher. I'll, I'll admit, it is a little tougher to, to get the point of this one, but we'll try to unpack it here. Or, he says, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another, against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able... He will send a delegation, and while the other is still a long way off, and will ask for terms of peace. So here's the illustration. Here's the story Jesus is saying. If I've got 10,000, and I see Andrew coming at me with 20,000, I, if I have a brain in my head, I realize I lose every single time. 10,000 never beats 20,000, only in comic books and you know, sci-fi or whatever like that. 10,000 loses to 20,000 every single time. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? The first illustration has been this. Count the cost. The second one is, so what's your choice? Live for now. Live for 60, 70, 80, 900 years of this and me and my desires. Live for that and experience eternal loss. Or to live for the creator of the universe's agenda and experience eternal bliss. Have a brain in your head and make the right decision. As appealing as this level of life, oh, it can satisfy me. If I just get a little more, a little bigger, a little more beauty, a little, little, little more, it can, it, I know I'll just keep racing. It can satisfy. And Jesus is cutting through the clutter and saying, have a brain in your head. Yes, it will cost you everything to be my follower. You've really got no choice. Or you can live for you and things that you think will satisfy you. Have a brain. Have a brain. Think. 10,000 loses to 20,000 every single time. The person who lives for his desires, this level of life, these satisfactions, or tries to do both. Remember hearing from somebody early on in my Christian life, even if Christianity's wrong, it's a nice way to live. Paul says that's craziness. Paul says that's, that's, that's from hell. 
that idea. If your version of Christianity has it nice at both levels, you've blown it. You've gone off track. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, man, if, if Christ hasn't risen from the grave, we're crazy men. It has cost him so much. And to be a follower of Jesus is meant to cost us. There's no cost-free way of doing it. If you've somehow figured out a, a cost-free way, I, I would say hit the reset button, my friends. It's meant to cost us. And then Jesus summarizes this passage here. You know, he, he's laid down what it is to be his follower. He's given a couple of illustrations. Think it through. Before you, you, before you count yourself my son or my daughter, think it through. You don't really have a choice. <laughs> he also gives us that illustration. Use your brain. Don't have a choice. Yes, I'm going to cost you everything, but there's really no options here for the rational person. And then he says this in topping it all off. He says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. <laughs> I remember <laughs> preaching this passage in Mexico one time and this uh this this woman was pretty upset with me, and uh, she came up to me afterwards, and she uh, she wagging her finger at me. Are you saying I need to give up everything? I said no, ma'am. I didn't say that. Jesus did. That's exactly. You know what it says in the Greek? You want to hear it in the Greek? Here's how it goes. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. There's nothing lost in translation here. There's no overstepping by Luke or the guys who did the KJV or ESV or whatever version you're holding. It, it says that in the Greek. Jesus actually said that. So what's your dream? What's your ambition? What's your goal in life? I remember this youth pastor, Michelle, who's going to talk later this morning. I can't wait to hear her. I have such deep respect for her. But uh, she knew this guy. My wife was this guy's, uh, my, my youth pastor's uh, secretary. His name was Vaughn, Erhard George von Trutschler. And I remember as a brand new Christian, you had to be invited to one of Vaughn's small group discipleships. And I was invited to the Tuesday night discipleship class where he would take 80 young men. And I say 80 young men because the youth group was <laughs> way out of proportion young men. And uh, so there are a bunch of other young men in this uh, room he would take 80 of us at a time and disciple us and uh, we would memorize verses and uh and then quote them back to him and uh, the first verses i ever memorized as a christian you can turn with me over to first corinthians chapter just hold back on luke there first corinthians chapter six he assigned it to us the next week we had it memorized and we quoted this back to vaughn and vaughn would always give a little bit of a uh you know, homily, five minutes or so about the verses that we memorized. We quoted this, if you're reading along with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And we quoted that to Vaughn, and Vaughn said this. I'll never forget this. I was a brand new Christian, maybe three weeks old in the Lord. Vaughn said this. He's looking out at this group of young, healthy guys. And the captain of my school surfed him. I've got the world by the tail. I'm going to go pro when I get out of high school. I'm this brand new follower of Jesus. I've got guys left, right, and center telling me, Brad, you ought to go pro. Man, you ought to do this for Jesus. Do it for Jesus. And I was like, I love that idea. 
I love that idea, except for the stinking youth pastor who taught us God's word. We did not like him. We called behind his back. We called him the youth pastor from hell. Okay, uh, we weren't really buddies. Nobody was buddies with Vaughn. Vaughn said this after we quoted this back. He looks at this group of young, healthy guys. He says, "For you to have dreams and goals and passions and ambitions and longings, longings in life, there's nothing wrong with that. You're human beings. Of course, you have those things. But for you to live them out as sin, you have no right to live out your dream, your goal." your passion, your ambition, your longing in life. You were bought at a price. You are owned by another. And because of that, the only rightful thing to do is to find out what his dream, his goal, his passion, his ambition, his longing is, and to spend every last breath you have living it out. That was Vaughn. That was the way we were a disciple. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. We had a constant outflow from that church. For a while, they called themselves an aircraft carrier. People got brought in, they got saved, they got nurtured and sent out, sent out. I was one of 13 that went off into full-time missions training once I graduated from high school because of a man with a vision. Jesus says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. I didn't want to do this. I don't meet many people, the radius students, kicking and screaming as they read God's word, selling homes, walking away from excellent jobs because they've been hemmed in by God's word. There's none of them down there that are giddy to put their kids in danger, giddy to live in a closed country. This is craziness. But because our Savior has spoken, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. I remember as I graduated from high school and uh, had my summer of fun after that. I was, I, I'd been accepted into missionary training. I was going to have to go back east at the end of the summer and had my last surf fling that morning. Went down to the train station in San Diego, downtown there. And I got on the train, a couple other folks with me from the youth group. And uh, I, I intentionally got a seat right next to the window of the train. And uh, take off out of San Diego, we're going up. And, man, there's Torrey Pines, there's La Jolla, Encinitas, Lucadia. All these places I had surfing contests, moments of glory. And I'm dying. I'm dying as I'm going up on these train tracks. And I'm looking out at the blue ocean. It's, come on, it's mid-August. And you know how beautiful it is. And, and I'm just dying. And it's just, oh, what have I done? What have I done? What have, what have I done? And I knew that I could not live with this type of tension forever. I, 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 would, I would bail out. I would step back from what I knew God wanted me to do. And, uh, and I said something on that train that uh, really helped me at that point in time. I, I said, Lord, I, if I never surf again, that's okay. If I never surf again, that's okay. I had to just drive that stake in the ground. Kept going up the train, caught another train to L.A. and went back east. And I forgot all about that. Um, I forgot about that statement until the year 2000. And uh, Beth and I, our time in New Guinea was over. And it's a summer day. And we're at La Jolla Shores, beautiful beach. And uh, I'm out surfing. And, uh, this, and by that time there, man, I'm an old guy. And I was surfing near like what I did. And uh, out there with me are my three sons, Brooks, Brandon, and Buzz. And, uh, man, a dad with his three boys out there surfing. We're, we're horsing around, pulling on leashes, you know, talking trash to each other. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm getting my set of, share of waves, uh, but I can't turn like I used to. I'm definitely not going off lips and stuff. Yeah, come on. You know, the, the, it wasn't there like when I was in high school. But you know what? I remembered what I'd said uh, on that train. 
And I realized God gave it back to me. And this day here is better than any day when I was a young guy. To be there with my boys and I realized, man, God gave it back in his time. You cling to your dream and it will bring erosion and cancer to your soul and the soul of your family. You let go of it and what God gives back to you is sweeter than anything you cling to. Some of you are in attention. You've been raised in a good church. You've had missions conferences. Some of you, like I said earlier, you're young enough and healthy enough to go to the front of the line, the tip of the spear, where it may cost you your life. And you don't have a good reason not to. Now, if you have contra, I also learned this term when I was about five years old, contravening orders, son. It's called contravening orders. My dad was a massive guy. And you go on the last orders unless you have contravening orders. And if you have direct revelation from God that contravenes Matthew 28, then you do what those contravening orders have indicated for you to do. Many of you, come on, let's, let's be honest. Uh, I'm not in a position at my age to go into one of those language groups, and either are you. Uh, realities are realities. Some have unsaved spouses. Some have physical conditions. We get that. We're not lunatics wanting to see everybody go overseas. And so us that are left behind, we give till we hurt. Oh, we give sacrificially. We're praying that God will raise up our sons and daughters and people from this church that will step forward and say, I'll I'll do it. Oh, I'm not happy. I'm not excited. I'm actually quite terrified. There's not a bone in my body that wants to leave Garden Grove, but Jesus has said this and I must follow. That's what I was praying as I was driving up here. The three or four of you guys that would actually have that heart. Living under the authority of God's word to say, I'm, I'm in. If Jesus has been so clear, I can't live in this dicey tug of war. I remember, and the, folks, the hardest decision is the first one that says, I'm in. I remember when I got that acceptance letter back from the training program that I went through. I didn't want to do it. I said, okay, I'm doing this. Until he shuts me down, I'm doing this. Andrew has said that there's some tremendous efforts going on in this church here toward world evangelism. I just want to encourage you all, find your spot. Man, be the best witness that you can be to your neighbors, to the people that you're working with, uh, man, people that are living a few blocks away. Be the church here in Garden Grove. And then keep your eye on and think strategically. What can we do as Village Bible Church in Garden Grove to see the gospel penetrate one more language group and another language group and another language group. We're not just going to send missionaries. We're not going to just do missions. We're out to complete the Great Commission. I know there's some sharp minds. You can't have a church in Los Angeles without some sharp minds. It's just too expensive to have property here and to keep this all running. I, I know that. Apply those minds to the Great Commission, folks. Let's pray and I'll be done. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Would you bless them real good? Would you give this church an even greater influence in Garden Grove? Use them, I pray, in this part of Los Angeles and around the world. Raise up labors and raise up sacrificial givers to support these efforts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.